0: Welcome back to Everyman Academy. My name is Professor J.T. Class is now in session. Today we're going to be discussing Anna Karenina, written in 1878 by Leo Tolstoy. This is our first foray into Russia. In eight parts, there's about 25 to 30 chapters apiece, little bite-sized snippets. The writing style and prose is simple. It's continuing this realist tradition. The most challenging aspect on the surface is there are a lot of characters, but as you meet each one, if you look at it like being at a party, you shake hands, get to know them, you might not remember their name, but when the party's over, you certainly will. A lot of things happen during the course of reading a book, and we see who fades into the background and who becomes a bigger part of the story based on what happens, the memorable moments in the book. And there's many in Anna Karenina. So many, in fact, I don't even know where to begin when performing an analysis. That is why I've resigned to the fact that I have to break this down in multiple parts, much like I approached Moby Dick. During this ride we have together, I hope you learn the story, what makes it so good. I want to take you along for this ride to give you an understanding about why People talk about this book as potentially the greatest novel of all time. I want to talk about the things that stuck out to me, the characters that I empathize with. But maybe you'll be inspired to pick up the book and read it for yourself because there's so much here. It feels like an impossible task to cover it all. In Russia, they have a completely different way of giving people names. But regardless, each name that's super long in formal settings has a nickname. Something that only close folks like family and friends are going to use. And because this story exists among family, we get to know these people quite easily through their nicknames. As we move through the book's plot together, you'll develop a sense for what it's all about. This book, part one, opens like this. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Basically, what's going to unfold from here on out is the development of two different families. One that is happy and one that is not happy. Anna Karenina, the namesake of this book, she's a married woman that develops an affair. Over time, we don't see her live happily ever after. Similar to Madame Bovary, which we discussed last episode. It's a little bit of a downward spiral. The main character of this book, on the other hand, is actually a person named Levin. We know so much about what goes on in his head, his thoughts, and his feelings. I couldn't help but relate to this character. But maybe you would relate more to someone like Anna. These characters are so human and real that there is no true universal reading experience. Who you relate to is going to depend largely on your life experience. It's hard to put away your bias. And you're going to hear about this story through the lens of mine. These characters, they're not just any family members. They're families that occupy the same social sphere, the Russian aristocracy, the privileged folk. This insider view feels very realistic. And it's actually pretty easy to empathize with some of the trappings that come along with this privilege. Tolstoy would know as a member of the Russian aristocracy himself. The first character we meet is someone named Steva. He's a government official. He's a family man and he's waking up with a pretty big hangover. Oh, oh he groaned as he remembered everything that had happened. And once again, all the details of the quarrel with his wife, the utter hopelessness of his situation, and most agonizing of all, his own guilt loomed into his imagination. You see, Steva, he has his family life at home, and then he goes out and has a mistress. When his wife, Dolly, hears about this, she's absolutely heartbroken. This isn't just any woman that he's having an affair with, it's the governess. This is the teacher that stays at home and educates the children. How scandalous. Steva, with a headache, tries to sort out how to deal with all this. Uh, But what can be done? What on earth can be done? There was no answer except the general answer which life gives to all the most complicated and unanswerable questions. This answer was, one must live by satisfying immediate needs. That is, by seeking oblivion. This guy is a party guy. Much like Madame Bovary, he's all in it for the passion. It's his purpose in life. Doesn't really ponder the big questions. It's all about the now. He had been born into the circle of people who would become the powerful of this world. This sets the stage for his buddy to come visit. The protagonist of this book. The main character, Dmitri otherwise known as Levin. We get a sense of his mindset in this first encounter with his friend at work. Now Levin is madly in love with Kitty. Kitty is the younger sister of Dolly. Remember her? That's Steve's wife, the one that he cheated on with the governess. They're having a little get-together at Kitty's house and Levin shows up early, goes into her room, awkwardly pops the question. He stumbles politely through this unfortunate meeting in society and quickly heads home, heartbroken and dejected after his failure. Even though Kitty has strong romantic feelings for Levin, she already has her heart set on another young suitor, the mustache-twiddling man known as Vronsky. Kitty's little get-together, Vronsky ends up showing up. then the next morning, he drives out to the Petersburg Railway Station to meet his mother. But who does he see but Steva? Steva is there to greet his sister who's coming in on train to save his butt, get him out of the doghouse. Vronsky notices the approach of a train that was ever increasingly apparent by the flurry of preparations at the station. Through the steam caused by the frost, workmen in sheepskin jackets and soft felt boots could be seen crossing the rails of the curving tracks. The whistle of a locomotive and the shunting of something heavy could be heard down the line indeed a locomotive was already whistling in the distance a few minutes later the platform started to shake and puffing steam that was being forced downward by the icy cold locomotive rolled past with the connecting rod of the central wheel drawing back and extending slowly and evenly going slower and slower and making the platform shake more and more came the wagon with the luggage and a yelping dog and finally the passenger carries shuddering before they came to a halt the smart looking guard blew a whistle as he jumped down and following him the impatient passengers started to get off one by one Vronsky followed the conductor to the carriages and paused at the door of the compartment to make way for a lady coming out with the customary tact of a society man Vronsky ascertained with one glance at this lady's appearance that she belonged to the highest echelons of society. He apologized and was about to go into the carriage but felt the need to glance at her again. Not because she was very beautiful, but because there was something particularly gentle and tender in the expression of her pretty face when she walked past him. When he looked around, she also turned her head, her shining grey eyes, made dark by her thick lashes, focused intently on his face for a moment in a friendly fashion, as if she recognized him, then immediately transferred to the approaching crowd, as if looking for someone. In that brief glance, Vronsky had time to notice the suppressed animation which sparkled her face and flitted between her shining eyes and the barely perceptible smile curving her rosy lips. So that's it, that's the moment he sees Anna for the first time, and it's well-written, it's descriptive, and it's powerful. How interesting. Where is it gonna go from here? Much to Vronsky's surprise, Anna is there to see Steva. There's a flirtatious back and forth that happens between them. And just about as everyone's about to leave, a horrible thing happens. Someone's killed on the train tracks. Vronsky, the hero of the day, hands a bunch of money to the conductor to give to the family of the person that was killed. Anna is very impressed by this gesture. A gentleman says, What a terrible way to die. He was sliced in two ways, they say. On the contrary, I think it was the easiest, as it was spontaneous, said the other. Ooh, at the time, this was new technology. It is true that suddenly a new avenue for suicide and death existed. It's a bad omen, Anna said. Well, we'll have to read on. Anna heads back. She saves the day with Steva, her brother, completes her mission, but she's got Vronsky on her mind. Now, she's married. She's got a kid. What is she doing with Vronsky on her mind? She's older than him, too. She shouldn't be thinking about him, but nevertheless, she is. And she goes to see Kitty. Kitty's having her big coming-out party, and she's expecting Vronsky to be there. The big ball. She invites Anna, because she really loves her. She thinks she's a wonderful person, but little does she know, about to get backstabbed. She suddenly realizes when she shows up at the ball what she's done by inviting her there. She sees Anna in a completely new and unexpected light. And all that was visible was her simple, natural, elegant, and yet light-hearted and vivacious self. She's there with Vronsky. Anna's there. They start dancing. She can't believe it. She was dancing the quadrille with a dull youth she was unable to refuse and happened to come face to face with Vronsky and Anna. She had not encountered Anna since her arrival and now she once again saw her in a completely new and unexpected light. She saw that Anna was drunk on the wine of admiration she was inspiring. She knew that feeling. It's telltale signs, and she saw them in Anna. She saw the dazzling sparkle shimmering in her eyes, the smiles of happiness and excitement, and then she looks at Vronsky. Everything Kitty saw so clearly depicted in the mirror of Anna's face was reflected in his. What happened to his parentally calm, steady manner, and blithely calm expression? Kitty felt that every word they spoke was deciding their destinies and hers. She sulks in the other room and reflects that there is something alien, demonic, and lovely about her. She has to give Get out of there. Meanwhile, poor Levin. He's reflecting on his failure. She turned this nice guy down for that mustache-twiddling jerk. He can't stop thinking of himself as loathsome and repellent. Thinks about how he doesn't fit in with other people. Pride they say no. It's my fault. What right did I have to think that she would want to join her life with mine? Who am I and what am I? An insignificant person who is no earthly use to anyone. And then he remembered his brother, Nikolai. Isn't he right about everything in the world being rotten and vile? So he starts thinking about his black sheep of a brother, and then how he had suddenly cracked and launched into the most licentious debauchery. All these bad behaviors pretty much gets him screwed out of the family inheritance. Nevertheless, Levin knows his heart. I'll make him tell me everything, and I'll show him that I love him and therefore understand him. Screw society. You just get turned down. It's time to bring your bro in. He visits his brother Nikolai and see that he's become thinner than he was three years ago. And he's got a life partner he took from a brothel. Nikolai's basically like, my life partner is a prostitute from a brothel and I live in filth. You gotta deal with it. He doesn't stop there. He gets into politics. Talking politics already. Despite the awkwardness of this meeting, Levin hangs in there. The next day, he makes a pact with himself that he would never again allow to forget his brother and would keep track of him and not let him get out of his sight and be ready to help him out when things became difficult for him. And that would be soon. He could feel that. He gets home. He's got his country estate going on. He puts his feet up. He's like, you know what? I'm moving on. Good for him. Gets a little motivated, picks up two heavy dumbbells starts doing lifting exercises to instill some vigor into himself. He's thinking about just living a more minimalist lifestyle. Good for him. After the ball, Anna's trying to get out of there. It's a little bit awkward. She's staying in the same place as Kitty is. Dolly's very appreciative for smoothing things over and uh, convincing her to give her husband a second chance. Anna confesses that she was the reason why the ball was not a good one for Kitty. But Dolly spills the beans that she didn't really like Vronsky anyway. And it's better it should not work out if he, Vronsky, can fall in love with you in one day. Oh, heavens, that would be too silly, said Anna, and a deep flash of pleasure appeared on her face again when she heard the thought absorbing her uttered out loud. Interesting. So Dolly's saying, well, he can fall in love with you in a day, so I don't want someone like that with my sister. Meanwhile, Anna's like, ooh, he fell in love with me in a day. I'm so wonderful. So it's just kind of an interesting perspective here, two people hearing the same thing and having two different meanings. Vronsky... Can't get enough of her. He kind of follows her back to St. Petersburg. He's kind of sulking about the train station, just uh, taking a look at Anna while she's going to meet her husband. She's going home now. She gets off the train and she sees her husband. When she sees her husband, she has an unpleasant kind of feeling, and it grips her heart when she meets his weary gaze, as if she had expected him to look different. You know, this feeling had always been there, but definitely more so now. Vronsky didn't fall asleep all night. He's very excited. He wasn't able to think about anything or anyone other than Anna. She inspired happiness and pride in him. What would come of all this he did not know and did not even consider. That all his previously dissipated disparate energies had converged and were now being distracted with a terrifying force toward one blessed goal. And he was happy about that. He only knew that he had told her the truth and he was traveling to where she was. And now he derived all his happiness in his life. The only meaning was seeing and hearing her. Wow, he is definitely a clinger. When at the train station he sees her husband, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot she was married. He knew it, but he didn't really know it until he sees her. Especially when he saw the husband calmly take her arm with a proprietary air. After seeing Alexei, well, he still comes and says hello. He's bold enough to say hello, my goodness. Alexei kind of shakes him away, no problem, no big deal, see you later. You know, he has, Alexei has complete faith in her discretion and would never allow himself to demean either of them by being jealous. You know, he notes Vronsky, but he's like, "I'm I'm not, it's below me to be jealous. It's a man of high moral character, clearly. It's the big setup, Kitty and Levin, Vronsky and Anna. We got Steva, we got Dolly filling out the supporting cast. It is setting the stage for what is about to unfold. Let's pause there until next class, where we will continue this breakdown of Anna Karenina. Until next time, class is in recess.